No one has the balls to stand up like I'm doing right now. Let's stop the crap already. We're all Americans. We're all equal. I don't see black. I don't see Asian. I don't see anything but American. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. We're going to do a little continuization from last week, and we're talking about, nah, that's all I do is talk about me, because when I reflect back to my life, you know, it's been the most interesting life that a, a man can have. You know, I'm 71 years old now, and what I went through with the police department, and then life after the police department, uh, and then going into the private investigating business. When I realized I'm going in my 38th year of retiring, I retired 38 years ago from the police department. And for the last 38 years, I've been a private investigator, security head. We've done security for every affair from the Grammys to the U.S. Opens and buildings and any type of security or investigation on the private side. So now you become a private investigator, private security. So let's go back. We talked about me meeting with Ronald Reagan, the president Ronald Reagan, President Bush being named as a chairman of the Crime Commission by President Bush in 1989 and what I went through with that. So now we hit the 90s. And in the 90s, a lot of interesting things happen. First thing that really jumps up is one of the other movies I'm in, The Wolf of Wall Street. And I play this guy, a guy named Bo Deedle. I play him. And it's with this guy, Jordan Belfort. Now, Jordan Belfort had a company. It was a pump and dump stock. It was a fraud. The whole thing was a fraud. They would take people's money, put it into stock, pump the stock up uh, on a Monday, and then on Friday they would all sell the stock. He had about 10 of these facilitators. That's what we got to call them. And these were guys that would buy the stock personally, and then what they would do is hold on from it. So if the stock was a $2 a share on a Monday, they would bring that stock up. They'd stop cold calling. And then when I first went there, I got a call from Dick Grosso. He was the head of the New York Stock Exchange, and he calls me up and he goes, Bo, I got this guy, Jordan Belfort. He's got a company called Stratton Oakmont over in Lake Success. Go see him. He's got some trouble with some wise guys, and they're moving in on him. He needs help. So I go over. I bring Vinny Pepitone with me. I think Jimmy DeWags was with me. And uh, we go over to see him, and it's this place. We pull up. I'll never forget it. Ferraris, Porsches, Maseratis, all in the parking lot out front. So I said, wow, these guys must be doing good. So I walk into this big room, and they have all these guys yelling and screaming, buy this, sell this, buy this. We go into the back room, and Jordan's there with his partner, Danny Porsche, and Jordan's dad was there older gentleman, and they tell me what was going on. So I said, look, it, here's, make it simple. Here's my card, Jordan. When Nunzio, whatever his name was, come back, just tell him that I own part of this company and to see me, call me. So all of a sudden I get a phone call. I get a phone call from Nunzio uh, to meet at the Testa Verdes or uh, uh, Testarossa restaurant. They want to talk to me. So I go over there, I meet with them and they go, Hey, Bo, what do you got to do with this Stratton Oak? But I said, what I got to do with it? I got a piece of it. And, uh, you know, he was going to take care of me, give me a piece of the thing. And I says, he goes, well, they need security over there. I says, I start laughing. I said, what do I look like? Stevie wonder here. I'm the security. Okay. And that's it. And you know what? Go shake down a restaurant someplace else. This one I got. 
sorry, well, this ain't going to fare well with the bosses. I said, if they have a problem, let them call me. I guarantee you, I know whoever your boss is and his boss and his boss and the boss of all bosses, Bo knows everybody. And this is not going to be a war. This is going to be what they call a settlement. This one's with me. You guys move on. As long as I'm not involved with your other stuff, I don't really care. And that's it. It did go away for that. And it happened many a times in the private sector. My relationship with the uh, uh, the Italian businessmen, quote unquote, organized crime, I had a respect from them that I can't explain it. And I've never done anything for them. But just all those years growing up with Ralph Scopo, Johnny Gotti, and Fat Tony Salerno and all them, I had this rapport. I was Boda Cop. And they liked me for some reason to this day. And I'm not embarrassed to say I have dinner with some of the top crime bosses that are still left. I'm sure they're not doing any more crime, but we have dinners together and we don't talk about anything but old times. And it's pretty remarkable, the respect fact that I still have. And I'm told many times, Bo, if you ever have a problem, I said, no, no, I, I can handle my problems. There's no problem. So let's go back to Stratton Oakmont with Jordan Belfort. So now I tell Jordan everything's taken care of. Now, every Friday, they would take these stocks. What they would do is they would cold call all these old people on the North Shore of Long Island, mostly Jewish people that were being shaken down. They would get a cold call. I got this hot stock. You got to buy 20,000 shares of this hot stock. It's $2. It's going to go up to 12 by Friday. This is like the most important investment you can ever make. And these old people now believed them. And they would send it in there. Now the stock would go up, go up. And then every Friday, they would have a victory party at Millie's Restaurant. Millie's Restaurant in Great Neck. So I used to attend these parties. And what would be was they would be celebrating. Now these 10 facilitators would sell their stock when it hit 12, 10 or 12. And then you can add up what the profitability is there. And then what they'll do is they'll celebrate. And every time they were celebrating, I'd say, hey, Jordan, listen to me. How come I can't get involved with this? I want to buy some stock. I can buy stock legally. He goes, you're out of it, my father. You're not going to be involved with this, Bo. He probably did save my life from being indicted because I would have done it thinking nothing was wrong. Here's the criminal part of it. The facilitators would then take cash, get cash, and come back to Jordan with hundreds of thousands of dollars in kickbacks to Jordan as where the crime was. And I really didn't understand too much about it. All I understood was people were making a lot of money. Uh, with the Nadine was the boat. I think it was a 175-foot boat. And then he had a pilot that landed a helicopter on the Nadine. And we actually set up a, a, a security house in the back of his house uh, in uh, Brookville. And I used to have Rocco Day, Rocco Night, a couple of guys. One was a Nassau County detective and one was a New York detective. And we put cameras all over because he was on this cocaine and he was on these quaaludes and he was very paranoid that they were going to come and get him. And uh, we had to put security on him all the time and we did. And now all of a sudden, I we get this, this guy named John, uh, Steve Madden, the shoe guy. And this was the, probably the only legit business that Jordan Belford really put out and made public was the, uh, the, the shoe company. The only problem was Jordan 
got every one of these felicitators, and he would wear a wire, and then he ends up setting up all these people, including Danny Porsche and uh, Steve Madden, and then he becomes a rat. And when they get him, he becomes a rat. And I think it's pretty well explained in the movie The Wolf of Wall Street, where I do play myself, and I have the famous actor Leonardo DiCaprio playing Jordan Belfort. And one of the scenes Marty Scorsese let us do was when all of a sudden Leonardo's popping looked like quaaludes, and I say to him, and I score to him, Jordan, stop taking those fucking quaaludes. The last time you took them, you fell asleep in your macaroni, which really happened. We were having dinner up there. I think I had Barry Slotnick, the lawyer, and then Jordan went to the bathroom. He'd come back. He was wavering, and next thing is he's eating. He goes like this, douche. His head goes into the macaroni. I pick it up. I wipe him off. I tell one of my guys, get him the hell out of here. So in reality, a lot of stuff in that movie was real. And when Jordan says to me, Bo, I want you to, I want you to put taps on this FBI agent. I want you to tap his car, his office, and his house. I go to Jordan Belford. I say, you know, Jordan, you're sick. You're crazy. He's smart. You're a dumbass, and you want to tap an FBI agent's house, his office, and his car? You're dumb, Jordan. And he, I mean, he was all over the place. He was always stoned out of his mind on these quaaludes. And his wife, Nadine, Nadine was one of the most beautiful women. Now, she's portrayed by Margot Robbie in the movie, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. But let me tell you the truth about it. Nadine Belfour was more beautiful than Margot Robbie. And it was obvious that, you know, she enjoyed all this riches and all this traveling, private jets, helicopters. And I'll never forget when the boat sank off the coast of Sardinia, Italy. He was so stoned out of his mind. He actually told the captain, he says, get the helicopter going. This was 16-foot seas. And the captain, he goes, I want to be taken off this boat. Now, he had eight. I think four couples or five couples there. He didn't care about them. He wanted a captain to fly him and his wife off the boat and leave them. And the captain said, I'm not doing that. We all know what happened. The boat actually broke in half. Now, this yacht, the Nadine yacht, was stretched to make it larger. And the engineer who did it, again, must have not really known what he was doing because the boat actually broken half in the high seas. They were all saved by the Italian Coast Guard. And now, all of a sudden, Jordan gets caught up, and he becomes the super rat. And to this day, that's what I call him, is the super rat, because he started wearing a wire, and he then indicted all the people that he brought in. Now, these facilitators were all arrested. On Jordan brought him in, Jordan taught him, and then Jordan put him and set them all up. So in reality, Jordan's not exactly Robin Hood. And one thing about him, he never gave money to charities. And I used to ask him about charities, and this affected me. You're making so much money. I think he made over two hundred million. Now he paid back eleven million of the two hundred. Now he's flying around. He's a he's doing speeches. He's flying around private jets. And for some reason, they never went and collected the other monies. And I'll guarantee you, there was a lot of old people that put their life savings into buying these stocks. And they may have died, maybe died from a broken heart of losing their life savings to this creep, Jordan Belford. I see him now, if I, you know, if I see him now, I'll say hello to him. But deep down inside, 
He was not a nice person. And when I said to the New York, uh, I mean, the Wall Street Journal, when they interviewed me, when we did the movie Wolf of Wall Street, I said, this is the luckiest prick in the world. I said, he got the greatest actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, and the greatest director, Martin Scorsese. What a lucky guy to have this movie. I think the movie was a great movie, and uh, he was a lucky guy. And now he bounced back on his feet. And again, you got to give this guy credit. You're talking about a guy that uh, made all this money, and for some reason they never collected all. Then he went away 16 months in a, I think, a C-level prison. He played tennis for 16 months. This was his punishment. Little, uh, I don't know if the uh, the crime equals the punishment here, but that was Jordan Belford, and that was one of the things in the 90s. Then, as I said, we got called for the Carpenters Union. Uh, Doug McCarran was the president of the International Carpenters Union. So I, I fly to Washington with Mike Cervola, and we meet with him, and he says to us that he would like us to take over the uh, the locals in New York City, the cop, the locals, Freddie Devine, I think, was running them at that time. And he said, can you do it? I said, well, as long as you have a blank check, I could do it. So I had to hire 100 retired cops, and we planned it all out. Freddie Devine went to Teterboro Airport with his top lieutenants. I think there were about six, seven of them. They were flying to uh, uh, Alaska to go salmon fishing. So what a great time to take over the unit as well the uh, – well, while the cat is away, the mice will play. So what happens is we let them fly away. We put them under surveillance. Now we take over, I think it was 325 Hudson. It was down by Hudson Street was their building. They built the carpenters unit. We march up Hudson Street with 100 guys on, five guys on this block, five guys. We go through the front doors. We take over the whole carpenters union. Now we're holding it down. We get rid of everybody. Now we had subpoenas, so we had all the legal documentation behind us. So uh, put it this way, we didn't have to have gunplay, and I had really good detectives there that took it over. Then we knew that Freddie Devine, the boys were going to fly back. The boys were going to fly back on a certain date. So we were at Teterboro Airport. Now I have I have affidavits, I have court orders, and when they land, I walk over to Freddie, and Freddie Freddie knew me, and he goes, what's going on, Bo? I said, you've been served, give me your credit cards, give me this, that's a subpoena for everything. I said, court orders, give me this, cars are taken away from you. Freddie goes, Bo, you can't do this. Now, when I was in Washington, uh, Doug McCarran said to me, you know, Bo, you got the Genovese family and the Gambino family are involved with this. Now... All of a sudden, I said to uh, McCarran, you know, you're messing with some really tough guys. But one thing is I know all of them. I know them all well. So now I'm going up to Rayo's having dinner, and I'm getting phone calls. Now I'm starting to get threatened by a couple of the wise guys there saying, Bo, you're messing with the wrong guys. And that, and that. I go meet with, put it this way, I met with a very high-level guy in each of the families. I said, look, it, this is not personal. If I didn't do this, Joe Schmo would do it. I don't disrespect you guys, but they got, they're all over this. The government's all over this. I think the best thing to do is everybody does the moonwalk out of here so you guys don't get in trouble because it's going to go right up to the top. And eventually we took it over. It was a receivership and we ran it. And I was able to defuse, I guess I was able to defuse me being defused because if I didn't know the right people, 
This story may not have been ever told. It might have been a story about Bo getting whacked on his table at Rayo's on a Thursday night. But again, the rapport and respect factor I had with the wise guys was so enormous and to this day. And that was one of the great things that we did. And then all of a sudden, a big one came. And we're going to talk, we're going to go right up to me running for mayor because I could sit here for years and talk about all our cases. We had another case where we rescued a kid out of Istanbul, Turkey, and uh, we had to go in there uh, and rescue another kid out of Denmark by helicopter. And then we had triple murder murders, murders of gemologists, and it goes on and on. All these stories, we can segue maybe each week and take a story and really get deep down inside of it because there's no stories like a true story. So now we've got to talk about, uh, I think I talked a little bit about the uh, the Drug Commission and uh, about Big Pharma flying to Washington, and they hired another company to do an investigation of drugs being imported into the United States on the internet. And I went over this story, I do believe, when I had Tom Brokaw in my house with my daughter Dana and my son Bo ordering drugs on the internet. She was uh, seven and he was five, and then he ordered drugs for Charlie the dog. And we were able to buy drugs online to show that they were counterfeit. Our investigation took us to Kashmir, Pakistan, where they were counterfeiting the labels and all these drugs. We bought them, and we became actual lobbyists for the for the drug uh, bill of 2000. I believe it was 2003, and I met with 40 United States senators. And because of all the time that I used to be on IMS in the morning, every senator, every senator, when I asked to talk to him when we went to Washington, me and Mike, every senator would open the door. Bo, come on in, Mike. And we would talk to them, and we were able to facilitate the uh, the drug bill and get this safety factors put on these imported drugs. And again, these stories that we talk about every week, we could go really deep, and maybe that's what I'm going to end up doing. One of my producers was just talking to me and said, you know, Bo, when you talk about these stories, this is what people like to know the, the intricate sides of it. But I want to jump because I don't know how much time I got, and I don't want to bore you, but let's fast forward. We have all these different cases. We handled every type of case. People would come to me and ask me to help them with this, help them with that. And then all of a sudden, what I would do is I would run, and I said to myself, I don't like this guy, de Blasio. He was the mayor of New York. He did nothing. All he did was he went against the cops. So I said, I want to run for mayor. And then I ran for mayor. I met with uh, Steve Cohen, SAC Capital, and Ken Langone, the head of Home Depot. And they said, the only way we would support you, Bo, is if you run as a Democrat. I said, I don't care, Democrat, Republican. I want to knock this big bird de Blasio out. He's done nothing for this city. So now I decide to run. I do the affidavit. I change my uh, Republican to Democrat. I also check the box that said independent. So now David Goodman from the New York Times is following this. And I had a lot of notoriety because of all my nonsense I've been doing for years. And I was a really formidable candidate where he actually did some internet polling where I was taking de Blasi out head to head. Next thing that happens is I get a call from David Goodman 
And he says, Bo, you're not on the Democratic line. So I call up the head of the Board of Elections, the head, and I said, hey, what's up with this? He goes, well, Bo, you checked two boxes. Although it's been done many times, we'll send you an affidavit. Get it notarized, and you'll be put right on the Democratic line. I did it. Two months later, David Goodman from the New York Times called me and said, Bo, we got a problem. You're not on any line. I said, what are you talking about? So I called the Board of Ed head. He goes, well, we decided... Mr. Deedle, you're not a Republican. No, you're not a Democrat. This was the pressure Bill de Blasio and the Democratic machine was putting on me. So now I hire, I hired uh, uh, Marty Connors, a former state senator who was an expert in this election law. Next thing is Marty says, ah, give me 40000 This has happened many times. We can take care of it. I gave him the money. First stop, I'll never forget New York Supreme Court when his judge is there. All of a sudden, the Blasio general counsel and two other lawyers was in my courtroom when I was having a hearing, supposedly. What were they doing there? That's the question. Next thing is the judge says, we don't have to have a hearing, Mr. Deedle. I've looked at this case. You made a mistake. You're off the Republican line. You're off the Democratic line. Mr. Deedle, you're a man with no line. I looked at it. I said to my lawyer, are you kidding me? And I said, what are these goofballs doing in my courtroom? De Blasio, General Counsel, and none. And two other goofballs. So now I go to the appellate court. Who's there? De Blasio's General Counsel and these other two idiot lawyers right up to Court of Appeals. And then all of a sudden I realized, welcome to New York Democrat policies, corruption personified. And then I had a run and I ran hard. I wouldn't let up. I went to Dominican Republic when that female police officer was killed. I ran, I went, I danced in a gay pride parade, pink jacket, rainbow shirt. I did everything. I was all over this because I really wanted to win. But little did I know I was never going to have a chance because I never had a line. I never had a line. Nobody would give me a line. And they said, Bo, you're an independent nobody. And if you looked at the ballot, people couldn't find my name on the ballot. Election day, I realized how bad it was when I couldn't even find my own name. And I ran all the way. One thing when I had the debate, and I will end it with this debate, CBS, Maurice Dubois. And here it was. One minute, Mr. Deedle, what do you have to say to Mayor Bill de Blasio? You know, Mayor? I've been a detective my whole life, and I know a criminal when I see one. And Big Bird de Blasio, you're a criminal with your wife, with your pay for play and your corruption. How much money do I have to give you to get something done in this city? You want to see a six foot seven man run away? This guy's got balls like BBs, and that was Mayor Big Bird de Blasio. And after that, I realized, you know what, how corrupt the political machine was. And again, I touched upon it with Rudy Giuliani's run for mayor and George Pataki's run for governor. They hired me. I had 50 cars out there following buses that were voting two and three times. We got plenty of stories about the corruption in this city. And I tell you what, this city is so freaking corrupt with this Democratic Party and the Board of Elections. Anybody who decides to run for anything in this city, if you ain't on that side, you ain't got too much to shot. And we saw what happened to my friend Curtis Lee. Well, he never had a shot. Even if he had the votes, they would have done something, and Curtis would have never won. This city sewed up. So now what we have to do, we have to get behind who our mayor is today, Eric Adams, 
I was out with some of his top people last night. I am going to try to help this mayor turn this city around with the crime problem. He ran on crime, and crime is the issue. And Eric Adams, if he straightens this out with the homeless, the mentally ill, if you straighten this out, Eric Adams, my mayor, you can run for president in four years from now. But one thing you have to do is straighten this city out. You were elected for law and order and for crime. Please, Mr. Mayor, I will give you my blood and all my help. And that's the end of today's podcast. Tune in next week for another podcast. And I apologize for my language like I do every week. Thank you so much. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.